You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. He saved me from judgment. You know, it's sad to see a person at the end of his or her life who has been all the while living after the flesh, and now they realize that they wasted their life. That horrible realization that has come over them, there's no time to recover those lost years. Hey, listen, if you would fall into that category, if there's a sense of that in your own life presently, It's not too late for you. In the grand scheme of things, we have to think about the end of our lives. As we go through life and make choices, we have to think of what we will or won't regret. When you're about to pass from this life and into the next, you won't regret following and serving Jesus. In Jesus, there is safety and contentment knowing that you're living out His plan for your life. When we're obedient to what the Lord has for us, He blesses us and our lives. He's built an eternal resting place for all of His children. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 as he continues his message, The Christian's Warfare. How many times have you been sharing something that you're going through and, and a person will come that you're speaking to and says, you're, you're not going to believe this. I just went through this last week. And this is what God did for me. These are the steps that I took and God worked wonderfully for me. You know, maybe these are the same steps you should take. How many times have we been ministered to by our brothers and, and our sisters, right? So the importance of fellowshipping one with another. And I guess that's why in the book of Hebrews, we're exhorted not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together, as such was the uh, practice, and uh, the common practice of some. And Paul, who I believe is the writer of the book of Hebrews, uh, actually uh, rebukes them for that. Okay, well, that brings us to our next piece of armor, verse 17. That is the helmet of salvation. It says, and take the helmet of salvation. Okay, this implies a couple of things. First of all, as it relates to the word salvation, I want you to think about it, your own personal salvation. God has saved us from a wasted life. So think of it in that, in that way. The life after the flesh. He saved me from my past. And oh my gosh, what a past I had. I'm glad God saved me from my past. But more importantly, he saved me from judgment. You know, it's sad to see a person at the end of his or her life who has been all the while living after the flesh, and now they realize that they wasted their life. 
that horrible realization that has come over them, there's no time to recover those lost years. Hey, listen, if you would fall into that category, if there's a sense of that in your own life presently, it's not too late for you. As far as I, as I know, you're not on, any of you are on your deathbed. So here's a promise for you. In the book of Joel, in chapter 2, in verse 25, if you feel as if you've squandered your life on things that are, aren't really that important, that you haven't really given yourself over to exercises and occupations of the spiritual sort, that which you believe God has called you to, well, here's a great promise. It's recorded for us in the book of Joel in chapter 2 and verse 25. And I will restore to you the years that the locust and the canker worm has eaten. The point is, is that it's never too late to start. God will allow you to recover those years. There's no reason why at the end of our lives when we're on our deathbed we have any regrets. You know? And we're not saved by works. But I wonder, when we stand before Jesus in heaven which, by the way, is depicted for us in the book of Revelation in chapters 4 and (laughs) 5. And we look into the face of Jesus, who, interestingly enough, you know, uh, they see him as a lamb who has been slain. What's that all about? I believe that when we get to heaven, Jesus will actually have the marks of his crucifixion in his body. And uh, just to remind us of the Tremendous price that he had to pay to get us to that final destination. So when we look into the marred face of Jesus, see the pierced side and the holes in his hands and his feet, I hope none of us have any regrets. And we think to ourselves, we flesh, we're going to still be there because we're not saved by works, but by faith in Christ, right? But I wonder if there's going to be any regrets. And we're going to flash back and say, you know what? I squandered my life. I had so many opportunities to serve the Lord, to make an investment in God's kingdom and the establishing and the furthering of God's kingdom, and I never took it. You know, I hope, I hope we have no regrets when we look into the face of Jesus and see what it cost him, you know, to get us to that final destination. Oh, God, help us. So I will restore to you the years the locust and the canker worm has eaten. So our salvation. But there's also something else here. I've been saved to glorify God through my walk in the Spirit. And when I realize that He has saved me, that I might become His instrument, His ambassador. Remember, we've already talked about that in one of our past uh, studies here in the book of uh, Ephesians. Doing His work, accomplishing His purposes. I'm not going to defile the temple of God using my body for my own selfish desires, lusts, or interests. Why? Because I don't want to be disqualified. We can actually disqualify ourselves from being used of God by the way that we live our lives. But there's another application here as it relates to the helmet of salvation as well. It also means to keep watch over our minds. The helmet of salvation. We need to watch over our minds. Because Satan comes and tempts you with ungodly thoughts. I mean, think about it. Sin's inception begins there. And it's our choice whether or not you're going to let those temptations enter your mind. So here's the temptation, right? And what do we do? We run off to Fantasy Island. De plane, de plane, boss, de plane. You guys probably don't even know what I'm talking about, right? That's how old I am. 
Some of you got it. But in 2 Corinthians in chapter 10, in verse 5, it says, bring every thought to the obedience of Christ. In other words, keep our minds protected by the helmet of salvation. Well, let's go on. The next piece of armor, the sword of the Spirit, verse uh, 17, the latter part of verse 17, which is the Word of God, which I believe is the greatest, you know how I feel about the Word of God, is probably the greatest both offensive and defensive weapon that God has made available to His people. And I think that we need to pull it from our sheet, right? The sword of the Spirit, and we need to aggressively use it. But you're not going to aggressively use it unless it's drawn from your sheet. You know, some people, and uh, and Pastor Pastor Greg Laurie always uses this example and illustration. I love it, so i got to use it. I'm going to rip him off. And, uh, you know, some people, what they do when using the armor of God, they're not aggressively using it at all. What they do is they dig a hole, and then they jump into it, okay? Then they put the shield of faith over the hole, and they stick up their sword of the Spirit, and they just hope the enemy is going to fall on it. That's not aggressively using the Word of God, right? And uh, that's kind of a crazy picture. But that's exactly the way some Christians are. They're not aggressive in their sharing the Word of God with other people. It's one of the greatest offensive as well as defensive weapons and resources that God has made available to His people. I want to direct you to uh, Matthew's Gospel in chapter 4. I'm going to ask you to turn there with me. Matthew's, we're almost finished. In Matthew's Gospel in chapter 4, in verses 1 through 11, And let me set this up for you. This is where Christ used the word of God against every attack of Satan. Let me set this up for you. Uh, Prior to what is recorded for us here in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 4, Jesus had just gone down to the Jordan River where John the Baptist was baptizing. I personally believe, either or, you know, I, I don't want to be dogmatic about this, and it's subject to speculation, but... Either Jesus was baptized for the sins of the entire human race, okay, in their place, and that's what that was all about, or he was being consecrated according to the Old Testament law to begin his earthly ministry, which they did uh, before they entered into the ministry. So either or, whatever you like, okay? Both of those translations, interpretations would probably be uh, correct. But anyway, immediately following that, the Bible tells us that he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness and he is fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And wouldn't you know it, along comes the tempter, the devil. And so picking up now in chapter 4 and verse 1. And the point is I want you to see how Jesus overcame every one of these temptations. It's the same way that we overcome them. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry. And by the way, you know, it's something that I just thought about. You know, I am probably more vulnerable to temptation when I am weakened in my body. When I am weakened in my body. And so take care of your bodies. Take care of your bodies. Because I don't want to fight. I'm weak. I'm tired. I don't want to fight. 
I would just, you know, sometimes rather just give in than fight the good fight kind of a thing. So take care of your bodies. And this whole 40 days, 40 nights, I'm running into people all the time. And Hey, what's going on? Hey, I'm fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. I say, why? Why are you fasting for 40 days and 40 nights? Well, Jesus fasted. Yeah, but that was Jesus. You know? And, you know, is God calling you? Are you sure that, Jesus, that God is calling you to fast for 40 days and 40 You know, the whole idea behind, I don't have this in my notes, but the whole idea behind fasting is to, uh, you know, free yourself up from all of the things that are related to preparing your food and eating it. I mean, think about how much time in the course of a day is given to your eating three meals. I mean, think about it. You got to shop for the meals. You got to prepare the meals. You got to eat the meals. You got to clean up after the meals. So, so if there's something that's pressing and you're seeking the Lord about to eliminate all of those distractions, right? You, you don't eat for a while. But I wouldn't suggest that you go, unless God is directing you, this is between you and the Lord, okay, that you fast for 40 days and 40 nights, all right? Because really, when Jesus wasn't hungry anymore, you know what that's an indication of? He was starving to death. He was starving to death. So I, I wouldn't suggest that to anyone. So when someone comes up to me, you know, sometimes I got to hold my tongue, but I'm bad. I'm Italian, and I'm from Jersey, and I have a hard time sometimes holding my tongue. So when someone comes up to me and says, you know, I'm fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, I usually respond and say, why? Why? And they say, well, Jesus. I say, yeah, but you're not Jesus, you know. And then sometimes they get offended, and I sure kept my mouth shut, but I didn't, you know. I'm from Jersey. Well, anyway, let's go back. And that's not a good enough excuse, but anyway. And when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, so this is the first temptation. If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. In other words, here's the temptation, just in case you don't get it. Use your divine power to satisfy your fleshly desires. You see that? And so, how did Jesus respond to this first temptation? Well, he answered and said, verse 4, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. He used the word of God to fight against this temptation. All right, let's go on. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And then he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. Right? So in other words, he's suggesting, the devil comes along and he suggests, you know, I'm a Bible student, and I, you know what, I bet you that the, that the devil knows the word better than any of us know the word. But the problem with him is that he twists it and shapes it, you know, to meet his temptation. He'll pervert it as he delivers it, you see. You better be careful about that. Notice he's quoting, he's quoting it. You know, he left out the part to keep you in all your ways. Those things were admitted. Okay, so what was this temptation all about? He was suggesting, hey, do this spectacular. Throw yourself off from the pinnacle. And as you fall to the ground, you're not going to die. So he's appealing to the spectacular. You know, do the spectacular. Perform a miracle. You will be hailed as the Messiah. He goes on and he says, And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot 
against a stone. So, but he's quoting these things incorrectly. The 91st Psalm, verses 11 and 12. Okay, so how did Jesus respond to this temptation? It is written, the latter part of verse uh, 7, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 16. Again, this is the third and the final temptation. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And by the way, this is probably the most powerful and the most subtle of the, of the three temptations that the devil offered the, the, our Lord. And Because what was he offering him? He's offering him a shortcut, an easy way. Notice, and he said to him, all these things I will give you. He can't Remember, he came to reconcile the world back unto himself, that which was lost through sin. And now, really, if you think about it, the title deed to the earth, which we'll talk about in our series in the book of Revelation, which is, by the way, in the hand of Jesus when he's presented to us in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, that seal, I believe that's the title deed to earth, which was lost through sin by Adam and Eve. And now he opens the scroll, which begins the seven years of tribulation. Man, you're getting a real preview of the book of Revelation here. Maybe some of you don't even have to attend church now for the next year or so. You're getting the whole thing in a nutshell. No, I'm like, please don't do that. But uh, that which was lost through sin, right? And uh, so he's offering them a shortcut. You don't have to go the way of the cross. You don't have to suffer the way that you're about to suffer to reconcile the world back unto your father. Hey, just bow down and worship me. Right? And he said to them, all these things, all of the kingdoms of the world, I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Well, how did Jesus respond? Verse 10, he used the word of God. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 13, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And what was the result of it? Verse 11. Everyone read it out loud. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. The devil will leave you. And then God will send his angels to minister to you. So the next time you're tempted, remember these things, right? What God did for, what the Father did for his son Jesus Christ, he will also do for you. Let's go back to the book of Ephesians. Was that worthwhile throwing in? I hope it was. Okay, so uh, the sword of the uh, spirit. You know, David tells us concerning the word of God, that he hid it in the uh, in the what uh, the hundred nineteenth psalm. He said, "Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee." And so the word, a tremendous defense against the attacks of the enemy, which also is implied. Let me give you another cross reference in First John chapter two and verse fourteen. We just talked about this recently. He says, "I have written unto you, young men." Because you are strong, how did they become strong? And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. So how did they become strong? How did they overcome the wicked one? 1 John chapter 2 and verse 14, because the word of God abideth in them. Listen, gang, God's word will keep you in the hour of temptation when the enemy comes and seeks to assault you, master and control you. It will become a strength to you. It will fortify you. 
And so arming myself with the Word of God that I might stand against the attacks of the enemy. And then finally, the last piece of armor is recorded first in verse 18. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, light of the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all of the saints. Prayer, what a precious, precious resource. Okay, so the enemy has come. We feel ourselves weakening. We feel ourselves slipping. I cry out to God for help. Sometimes it's just a short prayer. God, help. And what do we find? In that moment, God strengthens me. And many times that's all I can do. God, help me. I'm paralyzed. And God does answer. And God does strengthen. And God does help. And he gives me victory. You know, sometimes that's all it takes. It's just a quick prayer. You know, our body is working in concert with that temptation, and it's crying out to be fulfilled and satisfied. We, we want to give ourselves over to that temptation. And then we remember, like a Bible study like this one, and we just stop for a moment, we say, Lord, strengthen me. And all of a sudden, you know, our body that's been pulling at us and, you know, working in concert with that temptation seems to be gone. It's, it's, and it's like, what was I thinking? Right? And all of a sudden, God provides the victory for us. Sometimes it happens exactly like that. So pray. And I love prayer because it transcends all things. Everything that we're ever facing. A location. You know, you get a phone call from your sister on the West Coast, a brother on the West Coast, and you could pray. And your prayers aren't hindered because of their location, where you are and where they are. Prayer transcends matter and location. Isn't that amazing? It's an it's a unbelievable resource. And so Satan, our adversary, is out to destroy you, bring you down, and your flesh is working in concert with him, seeking to destroy your relationship, your fellowship with God, your spiritual walk, this armor, whereby we can stand in the hour of temptation. Listen, we don't have to fail. There's no reason for any of us to become a casualty. What does it say there in our text in verse 13? It says, therefore, stand. In other words, go for it. Don't run. Don't retreat. Don't lie down. Don't take any prisoners. Listen, God is calling every one of us today to stand. And in Christ, gang, we can do exactly that. And I want you to think about you know, maybe those areas in your life where you're most vulnerable. And uh, before you leave here, make sure that you have the whole armor of God on. Okay? Don't even walk out the, that door without making sure that you're prepared. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long. We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse study through the book of Ephesians. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. 
You can also listen online by going to the Resources tab, or you can find them on One Place and search for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Fenizio. Viewing our recent services in their entirety can be an option as well through Vimeo. Just follow the link at our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House. If you're ever in or near the Midtown Manhattan area and are looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here, and you can reserve your seat at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you happen to have any questions for us, don't hesitate to give us a call at 212-247-1877. That number again is 212-247-1877. Or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram by following the links on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today, and we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House.